baseball anytime soon. Unbelievable. Um, this went down just uh, about an hour ago when it was official, even though we heard before that that uh, players uh, would uh, be rejecting the deal. By the way, in case you're wondering what the MLBPA has said uh, regarding today's announcement, let me read it to you because this statement came down nine minutes ago. Here we go. Rob Manfred and MLB's owners have canceled the start of the season. Players and fans around the world who love baseball are disgusted, but sadly not surprised. From the beginning of these negotiations, players' objectives have been consistent. To promote competition, provide fair compensation for young players, and to uphold the integrity of our market system. Against the backdrop of growing revenues and record profits, we are seeking nothing more than a fair agreement. What Rob Manfred characterized as a defensive lockout is, in fact, the culmination of a decades-long attempt by owners to break our player fraternity. As in the past, this effort will fail. We are united and committed to negotiating a fair deal that will improve the sport for players, fans, and everyone who loves our game. Now, I'm going to just start the show off by saying this as far as baseball goes, okay? As much as I've read on the issues, and I've followed everything that's been going on, as I hope a lot of you have too, there is absolutely nothing involving this entire lockout that I could blame the players for. Zero. In fact, the players have been the ones that have been sending uh, offer after offer. The league will then uh, got a 45-day head, I guess they were 45 days late to the party. In other words, they locked the players out in December. They didn't even come to the negotiating table for 45 days after the lockout started. So if the, if the owners were really serious about getting this solved, why did they wait a month and a half before they even began negotiations? And something else that bothers me is this. The players actually did move in what they uh, in what they sent the owners. They, they, they gave a lot from when they started to when they ended. Owners practically gave nothing. And I listened to Rob Manfred's comments. It was garbage. It's a total lie. And it's a shame because... They are doing more damage to the game of baseball today than they could have ever imagined. Because unlike 1994, which was before the internet, and really in 1994, if you think about it, how'd you get your sports? Either the newspaper or ESPN. That was it. That was the only ways to get your sports. ESPN or the newspaper. Now we have social media. We have Twitter. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have Snapchat. We've got instantaneous ways to convey public opinion. And by the way, every single writer who covers this sport, they all side with the players. Do you really think if the owners had any say in this situation and were truly doing what they could, do you think every writer in America would side with the Players Association on this? They all do. Everybody does. And the owners who have been covering this and writing about this, I mean, the, I'm sorry, the owners, the writers who have been covering this and, and uh, from like a minute-by-minute minute basis have all said that, you know, the owners uh, don't care about missing the season because they know they could still miss the first month and turn a profit. And therefore, to them, they'd rather play hardball, bend the players over, hope they cave because they know that if they miss a month, they're still coming out on top. So, 
Um, ultimately, the owners felt like they had zero to lose right now. Zero. They were just going to try and, and, and stronghold the players and say, hey, if you don't do this deal by uh, February 28th or today, March 1st, we're going to take your money away and we're not going to pay you for the games you miss. And they figured the players would cave. They didn't. Good for them. Because ultimately, if the players ever want a fair shake in this system, they're going to have to lose money and ultimately put the owners in a spot where they have to give more than they currently are right now in order for this to really even itself out. So I give the players a lot of credit because they will lose money this year, but ultimately um, a loss of of a month's worth of a paycheck could be a huge gain for them in the long term if and when these two sides eventually come to an agreement, Adrian. Yeah, I watched the comments today by Commissioner Rob Manfred, which, by the way, uh, we we do commissioner rankings. Uh, Rob Manfred is uh, number one worst commissioner in all of sports, at least in my eyes, just the way he handled this situation and other situations in years past. So uh, my biggest thing is this really hurts the fans. And, and what you said was real interesting because you're right. We live in the age of social media. We live in the age where sports is consumed so much differently than it was uh, you know, 20, 35 years ago, and you, you just look at the timeline and how we're, we're watching sports. Well, yes. now that form of entertainment, people will go and jump to something else. They'll 100%. Go, they'll go to Netflix, they'll go to Hulu, they'll watch documentaries, they'll watch other sports, whatever it is. They they will be fine without baseball, but I'm sad for the fans, and it's yeah. hilarious, Steve. It's hilarious how hypocritical Rob Manfred is saying the concerns of our fans are the very top of our consideration list. Oh, garbage. If they had any concern, they would have solved this uh, weeks ago and not put themselves in this kind of a spot so they couldn't care less about the fans a hundred it's the biggest joke of all is the fan think about this okay players are trying to get what's right for them owners are trying to get uh and trying to break the players like they are who gets screwed the fans they're the ones that are going to lose out on games in spring training that's just a fact now let me say this because games are being canceled um Triple-A baseball is not, okay? So understand that Chihuahua season is starting probably sooner than MLB season because this does not affect minor league baseball. This strictly affects the major league level because minor league players are not in the MLB Players Association. They're not. So ultimately, they're all in spring training now. Working out, they'll have games. They're probably starting games now anyway and play games for the next three or four weeks. And even though the big leaguers are not there and not allowed in, they're still minor league baseball. So the show must go on. And in El Paso, it's going to be weird because we might have Chihuahua's opening night on April 12th for a home game. And MLB is still not playing yet, which is going to be really, really surreal. Yeah, how awkward is that if you're a uh, prospect on one of these AAA teams just really hoping that you're going to get the call this year and having this uncertainty uh, loom over you? I mean, you could say, sure, the argument is sure. You you try as hard as you can. You get all the footage out there of your play, and, and you make the case in, as to why you should be called up once baseball resumes play. But on the other side, it, it's got to be a mental thing for yeah. some of these players, and they might think, gosh, is this even worth my energy uh, right now to exert all my efforts I- into this way? 
when you know we don't know if there's going to be a major league baseball season or or when it will start. I think minor leaguers have a huge advantage this year, uh, a huge advantage because they're going to get their normal spring training games and and playing in. And when the big leaguers come to camp and start, you could see more injuries this year than ever before because they got a late start to it. And who knows what they did with their own conditioning over the lockout? Because remember, since December, big leaguers have not had access to any of their facilities. They normally do. They're normally able to work out in their facilities, whether it's the spring training or the regular season complexes, and they can do what they need to do and get their work in and have supervised workouts from the big league parent club. Not this year. So you could see injuries, guys breaking down, and ultimately minor leaguers could benefit more than ever this year because they've had a normal spring training. Yeah, and I get it. Like Guys like Fernando Tatis Jr., they're going to have their own workout regime right now. They're doing all that they can, but those are the higher-paid players, yep. Steve. You go to the other guys who are just you know your rotational pieces on your, your average uh, baseball roster, those are the guys who I feel for right now because they're probably having to go back to what college and oh. practice there, or who knows what they're doing right now. It's a horrible situation. It really is, and it sucks for baseball because understand that when they, you had the um, you had the 94 strike, Okay, and that's when, remember, that's when they canceled the season that year. They uh, they struck in the middle of the year, canceled it, and I was trying to get Butch Henry on the show to start the program today because he was on that 94 Expos roster, and many believe that that could have been the best team in baseball, even better than the Braves in 94. You had a young Vladimir Guerrero, you had Delino DeShields, you had Marquise Grissom, you had Pedro Martinez, you had Larry Walker, you had Butch Henry, you had a, a, a I mean, just a stacked team in Montreal in 94, and I always wonder, what if, what if they didn't uh, ultimately cancel the uh, the season that year because that could have been the Expos year. So unfortunately, it never happened because they broke the, the they, they broke up the club by '95, and we'll never know. But '94 was a pretty special year for Montreal and for Butch, and uh, you know that was the last time we had a major work stoppage like this. We haven't missed any games since '94, and understand that there were two things that saved baseball after the '94 strike. Okay, you had one the home run race of '98 between McGuire and and uh, Sosa. And number two, you had Ripken chasing Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak. Those were the things that got the fans back on board after so many of them were frustrated they were done with baseball. And by the way, there were some from 94 that never came back. And there's very likely fans that will not come back this time around because they're so fed up with, uh, with Major League Baseball and the owners. They might say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with you. I got enough other stuff to watch. I have enough other stuff to do. I am finished with Major League Baseball. That very well could be a, a reality of the situation. Yeah, let's be honest, too. The uh, millennials, the Generation X, like my generation and younger, it's not like there are a lot of people who are lining up to be a baseball fan. And 100%. the, the uh, sport has to try to appeal to a younger audience as well. And uh, if they're not starting on time, if they're not bringing that consistency right now, then that's just only hurting this sport uh, you know, in its future. Absolutely. Now, we have a loaded show today, and I mean an absolutely loaded show. So, it's going to start, speaking of baseball, we are going to talk to author Peter Golenbach, who's got a brand new book out, and I am super excited about this because he's got a book that's going to be released two weeks from today. And if you are a fan of uh, Peter's work, and a lot of you might be, the book is called Whispers of the Gods, Tales from Baseball's Golden Age, told by the men who played it. So if any of you listening have ever read Larry Ritter's book, Glory of Their Times, one of the greatest sports books ever written, and I'll tell you right now, uh, I think it came out 50 years ago, 
I own it. I have an original hardback copy of that hardcover, and that book I'm never getting rid of because it's a book I could read over and over again forever. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, what Peter has done is he's essentially taken a modern version of that book because that book was about players who grew up in the uh, turn of the century to the 20s and 30s and played the game like Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb. Um, you know, this book from Peter are about guys that played in the 50s and 60s, but along the same lines. So very cool that Peter Golenbach's going to join us on the program to talk about Whispers of the Gods, which comes out two weeks from today. That's just the start of the show. Because at 5 o'clock, Eric Alwyn's going to join us for Track Talk. And then at 5.20, Troy Aikman is going to Zoom with us for the first time ever. That's amazing. 27 years in this business, never had a one-on-one with Troy Aikman. Adrian, we finally get our shot to do that here this afternoon today. Yeah, he's so gracious with his time today. There's a lot of local ties with this as well regarding the UTEP football uh, nutrition statement uh, station that was started by Babe Laufenberg uh, in response to, you know, the late Luke Laufenberg and what he wanted to do to honor his his son who passed away due to cancer. So uh, a lot of good local ties with Troy Aikman, not to mention those preseason games that he was involved here in the 915. Man, I remember those like it was yesterday. They called them the controlled scrimmages three controlled scrimmages in El Paso they weren't preseason games they were practices that's so cool though I love that control yeah control scrimmages still go on to to this day so that's awesome they do that just not in front of 45,000 fans that's very true very true and then in our six o'clock hour a pair of UTEP minors who are going to be ready for senior night on Saturday Alfred Hollins is going to join us plus Giles Dekanik is going to be with us that's going to be a lot of fun catching up with those two yeah most definitely because we know Alfred Hollins we know that he's uh, helping out this UTEP basketball team is their best sixth man of the group. Uh, but Giles left the program earlier this year, and a lot of fans wondered, well, what's going on with him? He was he was training with them. He was practicing with them. But it's all good stuff. And, and he, I, I ran into him a couple weeks ago, and his story is really cool to just catch up with. And he's got the full support of the coaching staff as well. We are loaded today. It's crazy. Going to be fun, too. Three hours and uh, be uh, enjoying the ride, folks. Because like we said, uh, Troy Aikman, uh, really excited about that. That's about an hour uh, from now as we get uh, get into our five o'clock hour but up next peter golenbach a conversation you're not going to want to miss it's a good one as uh, we'll come back with that but first charlie one and traffic update number one here on a tuesday afternoon charlie uh what is it looking like around the streets and highways of el paso welcome back everybody to sports talk it is a busy busy afternoon And right now, uh, one of my favorites is joining us uh, via Zoom. I am so excited about having this man uh, with us for about the next 20 minutes to talk about a brand new book that he has coming out in two weeks. It's called Whispers of the Gods, Tales from Baseball's Golden Age, Told by the Men Who Played It. And anybody who's ever read any kind of baseball books over the years knows the name Peter Gullenbach, and he joins us right now here on Sports Talk. First off, Peter, thanks for the time, and uh, welcome to the show. How are you today? Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm fabulous. <laughs> Great to be here. Great for, to be with you. You know, for somebody like you who's been writing uh, baseball books for, what, 50 years, this just seems like such a no-brainer to go ahead and, and put together a project where essentially you're taking some of the immortals over those you know, those years that you've spoken with and, and told their stories all over again through their own uh, through their own voices. It's, it's just perfect. You know, it, it's funny because when I was a sports editor at Dartmouth back in 1966, I got this book in the mail, and it was The Glory of Their Times by Larry Ritter. 
And I started reading this book and it was interviews with people who played with Babe Ruth and played with Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner and Shoeless Joe Jackson. And I was just absolutely mesmerized by this thing. And, and it's, it's really, it's sort of interesting because for the last, say, 40 years, as I did Dynasty, which was the history of the Yankees and Bums, which was the history of the Brooklyn Dodgers, Wrigley, Wrigleyville was the Cubs, Spirit of St. Louis was the Cardinals and Browns and Amazing with the Mets. It really didn't occur to me until a couple of years ago when Jim Bouton died. Uh, Jim and I had lived about three blocks apart from each other in Englewood, New Jersey. We were very close. I used to babysit for his kids. Um, and I had interviewed him at that, that fairly great length for Dynasty. And he had talked about you know, how improbable it was that he would make it to the major leagues. And the other thing that he talked about was after Ball 4 came out, what happened to him? And I thought, you know, Jim may not be with us any longer, but his story certainly is very interesting. So I decided I would, I would take his story, and then uh, I had had a call from Ted Williams one day. Peter. <laughs> yes. It's Ted. <laughs> yes, Ted. Is, I want to tell you why Joe Jackson belongs in the Hall of Fame. Get up here. <laughs> you don't say no to Ted Williams. <laughs> so I got in the car, drove to Ocala. I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. Drove to Ocala and he proceeded to tell me for a good hour why Joe Jackson belongs in the Hall of Fame. And in the middle of the conversation, he says, um, we have to call Bob Fellow. Well, okay, let's call Bob Fellow. So, so Ted calls Bob Feller, who basically says the same thing. At any rate, uh, the whole thing was a wonderful experience. Um, while I was living in Englewood, I got a call from a man by the name of Ed Froelich. Uh, Ed Froelich was the trainer for the New York Yankees under Joe McCarthy in the 1920s and 30s. And Froelich told me some just wonderful stories when he was with, with Brooklyn and Babe Ruth was a coach with Brooklyn. Um, he said, he said, I asked Babe one day, I said, Babe, did you really call your shot? And Babe said to him, Ed, can you hear me? And Ed said, yeah. And Babe said, can you really hear me? And Ed said, yeah. He said, if I had called my shot, Charlie Root would have hit me in the head with the next pitch. Are you kidding me? No, I didn't call me my shot. So that was one of the stories. And I put my, my interview with Ed Froelich in this book as well. Um, Stan Musial is in there. Uh, Ron Santo is in there. Monty Irvin, who I was close to, was in there. Um, when... I, we here in St. Petersburg at US, USF, we had a, a panel where Monty and I were on the same panel. So I volunteered to drive to the middle of the state to pick Monty up and bring him, bring him to it. And I asked him, I said, you know, would it be okay if I interviewed you while we drive? And he said, yes, of course. And, and what he was telling me was that when he was in the army during World War II, the African-American soldiers were treated so, so terribly 
He said that when Branch Rickey called him and asked him if he would be the first African-American to play Major League Baseball, he said to Rickey, sir, I, I just can't do it. After what I've been through here in the Army, I, I, I think I would have a nervous breakdown. I can't do it. I'll let you know when I can. So, of course, Rickey picked Robinson. And then when Monty said he was ready, which was a couple of years later, um, the woman who owned the Newark team wanted $5,000 from Ricky and Ricky wouldn't pay it to her. So she sold, she sold Monty to the New York giants. And of course, Monty helped them win penance in 1951, 1954. Peter Golenbach with us again. The book is called whisper of the gods tales from baseball's golden age told by the men who played it. It comes out in two weeks. You can pre-order it now on uh, Amazon.com and uh, get that uh, just in time because hopefully uh, we'll have a baseball agreement uh, sooner rather than later. And then you can really bring in the uh, 2022 season, right? With whisper of the gods. Now, I got to ask you, there are so many incredible people you have spoken to over the years. How difficult was it to choose who would be in the book and who would not make the cut, considering you probably could have made this book 10 times the size that it turned out to be? I could have, but I, I used Larry Ritter's book as sort of the example. You know, I, I didn't want it to be 400 pages long. Um, you know, you're reading about people's lives. So I, I figured, you know, 20 pages per life would be about right. And I interviewed uh, 16 different players and Bounton twice, of course. Bounton's in the first chapter and the last chapter. Uh, I, I just, that just seemed right. Was it fun going back and listening to these interviews again and these conversations as you were really putting this book together? Always. The joy, the joy of what I've done for the last 40 years is talking to these wonderful ballplayers. I mean, that's the joy of it, to, 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 to try to learn something that you don't know. Um, you know, it was funny. When, when I got my first contract to write uh, Dynasty, uh, I went to Yankee Stadium and I spent three months uh, doing research in the Yankee, you know, stadium archives there. Yeah. And when I got finished, I sat down to write the book and it occurred to me that you cannot write a book based on old newspaper articles because you're not going to write anything new. So at that point, I went to the editor who had given me twenty five hundred bucks and I said to him, Nick, Nick, I need another twenty five hundred dollars. I've got to go interview all these ballplayers. And so the next two years, uh, I went around the country, spent, you know, 33,000 miles, I figured out, driving around the country, flying around the country to interview ballplayers. And every interview was a joy. Every single one of them. You know, uh, I'm a, co a combination of, of, you know, crazy baseball fan and also a historian at the same time. So what you're looking for is to learn something that nobody else knows. 
In terms of your style of interviewing and talking to the players, especially in those years, because let's be honest, um, you know, there weren't a lot of books like that made on those subjects at that time period. Was it difficult for you to gain their trust to where they would open up and really tell you things that, you know, would make a, a good story? Well, what I always tried to do was do my research before I went to see them. So my first two or three questions would always be sort of esoteric questions that only they would know, where they would say to themselves, hey, this guy has done his homework. He must be serious. So I know I've never really had difficulty once I start, you know, once a player agrees to be interviewed, Mm -hmm. I've never had a great difficulty talking to them. They, they, it's, it's the most important parts of their lives. You know, they're, they're, they're however many years playing in the major leagues. And I know when I did Yankees, for instance, uh, Mickey Mantle had retired in 1968 and I talked to him in 1973. So this was five years after he retired and, and he was telling me, the nightmares he was having, that he would have these recurring dreams that he would hear the public address announcer going, now batting in the third position, number seven, Mickey Mantle. And in his dream, he'd be standing outside the walls of Yankee Stadium and he could not find the doors to get in. Wow. So... Uh, and that was just, you know, five years out of baseball. As, as, as the years went along interviewing these people, sometimes it was, you know, 20 years since they played. A couple of them, 30 years since they played. And they were actually thrilled when somebody with a certain amount of seriousness, seriousness came to them and said, really, I'd really like to talk to you about your life. More with Peter as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, uh, bottom of the hour, let's get back to Adrian with this Sports Center update. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Back right now with uh, Peter Golenbach, the book again, Whisper of the Gods, Tales from Baseball's Golden Age, told by the men who played it. And uh, it's coming out uh, two weeks from today. You can pick it up and pre-order it right now on uh, Amazon.com. Now, I'm, I'm looking at the list because uh, you mentioned Ted Williams. Uh, you've touched on um, you know some of the others that are going to be profiled. Monty Irvin is another one. Um, some people I'm very excited about that I, I haven't necessarily heard, uh, you know, them in their own in their own words in a while. Roy Campanella is one of those, and I'm sure from your days doing bums and talking about the Brooklyn Dodgers, you must have had some terrific conversations with Roy Campanella. Well, usually when I go see these people, you see them one time, and so Roy, after his terrible accident, he was in a wheelchair, of course. The Los Angeles Dodgers uh, made him, you know, somebody who would go out to the public and be a representative of the Dodgers. They gave him a lifetime security that way. And so I went to Dodger Stadium to interview Roy there in the stadium. And the man could not have been more gracious, could not have been more charming. What a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous guy he was. You know, quite frankly, there are only a handful of people who I've run across 
who who have not been both you know smart and charming and wonderful when I when I went to see them. Uh, only only a couple. Um, you know, the, 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 their careers are so important to them, uh, these players, that if they know you're doing something, you know, not not silly or supercilious, but doing something that will, you know, help history come alive, they're, they're very happy to cooperate. Well, it's interesting, too, Peter, because, um, you know, there have been plenty of, of individuals named that have had books written about them or they've written books, but... Gene, you know, a guy like Gene Conley, for example, probably not. So now right. you're you're taking someone that anybody who followed the game in the 50s remembers the name Gene Conley, but he never had the treatment like he's getting here now with, with, with Whispers of the Gods. Well, Conley actually was a remarkable athlete. Uh, at the time he was playing for the Boston Red Sox, he was also playing basketball, backing up Bill Russell, mm-hmm. playing for the Boston Celtics. And and I think what people remember about Gene more than anything else was that one day he got off the team bus in New York City, went to the airport, Idlewild, I think it was called, before it was called Kennedy, um, and decided that he was going to fly to Jerusalem. And what I wanted to know, among other things, from Gene is, what was that all about? And it turns out, really, that he was so overworked from being a basketball player, which is, you know, tremendous emotional. You know, it's, it's not easy to go from there uh, to, to pitching for a Red Sox team that was sort of mediocre. And one day he said to me, basically, I was having a nervous breakdown. And he told me the story. The story's in, in Whispers of the Gods. It's in there. Um, I love the guy. I, I just thought thought he was wonderful. You also devoted a chapter to Roger Maris. Uh, what was uh, what was uh, Maris like? Getting Maris was a, this is an interesting story and in how I got Maris at all. Uh, the Yankees had given me the names and addresses of all their former players when I was doing Dynasty. And Roger was living in Gainesville. He had played two seasons for the St. Louis Cardinals in 66 and 67 after he played with the Yankees. And Gussie Bush had given him a uh, beer distributorship in Gainesville. So I went to Gainesville. I drove up there. And his brother said, I'm sorry, Roger's not here. Um, And he made it sort of seem like he didn't really want to talk about what had happened to him. So I went on from Gainesville over to Atlanta, where I had an interview scheduled with Cleet Boyer, mm-hmm. who had a um, sort of a, a tavern bar, uh, the Golden Glove. And he said to me, he says, you know, I'll meet you at nine o'clock in the morning uh, tomorrow. So I got there at nine o'clock in the morning and I sat and drank my coffee while uh, the other large former football players sat at the bars drinking beer. And I sat there from nine o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock at night when Cleet Boyer showed up with Roger Maris. I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather. It was quite amazing. So Cleet said to the two of us, you guys go sit down and I'll be over in a minute. And I'm sitting, staring at Roger. Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. That sort of thing. 
uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you better not ask him uh, if you can, if, if I can interview him, because he might say no, and it would really ruin the evening. But about two minutes later, he said to me, shall we go outside and talk? Which is really fabulous on his part, because he had been treated really badly by the Yankees at the end of his career. Ralph Houck uh, had done a couple of things to him, which I knew about that I wanted to ask him about. And so I sat on the hood of a car out in the parking lot of the Golden Glove, interviewing Roger Maris with my portable tape recorder. And he proceeded to tell me how in 1966, he had slid across home plate and caught one of his hands on the umpire's spikes and broke his hand. And the Yankees had taken x-rays, but they had not told him his hand was broken because they were doing very poorly that year and they wanted him to draw fans. So at the end of the year, Maris told Houck that he was going to retire, that he had sort of had it. And Houck said to him, please don't retire now. You can make your announcement in the spring and we'll throw a little party for you. So Roger said, okay. And two weeks later, Ralph Howe traded him to the St. Louis Cardinals. And so Roger is telling me about how all of this is happening and how angry he was, but that how he couldn't retire right then because now another set of fans would be angry at him. So he decided to go and play. And why Roger Maris is not in the Hall of Fame right now, I have no idea. I mean, how many players break records the way he broke Ruth's 60 home runs in the season. Not only that, but he was helped the Yankees to World Series in 60, 61, 62, 63, 64. And then he took the Cardinals to World Series in 66 and 67. Yeah. So, you know, I've spent the last 10 years trying to get Gil Hodges into the Hall of Fame. And now my goal is to see Roger get in fairly soon. Good for you. Peter Golenbach with us here on Sports Talk. If people uh, that have been listening to this conversation order Whispers of the Gods, especially after listening to what we've talked about for the last 15 minutes or so, what do you think uh, they will enjoy most about the 17 chapters uh, of this book? They'll enjoy most what I enjoyed most when I was listening to the glory of their times. It was like listening to history come alive. You know, when Tom Sturdivant is talking about playing in a golf match with Mickey Mantle, and after the the ninth hole, when Sturdivant makes his putt and Mickey misses his, and then Mickey goes and he walks and takes his putter and swings at the branch of a tree and misses the branch and puts that iron right through his his shin. So he's bleeding like a stuck pig, and you hear... Tom Sturdivant saying to him, Mick, you know, we got to go to the doctor. And Mickey says, the hell I'm going to the doctor. Let's keep, you know, we're playing golf. So they finished the 18 holes. And um, now Mickey's got to come up with some reason. He's got to tell Stengel, Casey Stengel, his manager, you know, why he can't play for a few days because he has this gash in his shin. So he makes up his story. Sturdivant's telling me how he makes up the story about how the car was rolling downhill and his, his shin got caught in the corner of the door. <laughs> it's, just, it's just classic. 
it's just, you know, sort of wonderful Mickey Mantle. And that's what you get out of this. You hear, you hear these people talk about their, their, their owners. They talk about the managers. They talk about their teammates. It's just, to me, it's wonderful. Whispers of the Gods, tales from baseball's golden age told by the men who played it. You can pre-order it now at Amazon.com from Peter Golenbach. Hey, terrific stuff, Peter. Thanks for the time, the trip down memory lane, and uh, congratulations again. I I think it's going to be a huge hit for you this baseball season. Thank you so much. Peter Golenbach, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Come back with plenty more. Stay with us right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Our thanks to Peter Golenbach for joining us. And we're just getting started, folks. Just getting warmed up on the program. And that's uh, the best news of the day, I think, when you really start to look at everything that we've got going on here on the show, including some classic Rush in the background, one of my favorites. Tell you what, um, whenever you give me some, um, you know, Mid seventies rush like Bastille Day, yeah, it's it's completely different than the stuff they came out with in the eighties. So this is uh, this is pretty good. Which reminds me, had a good time at the uh, Volbeat Ghost Show oh, last nice. night. That was a lot of fun. What was your experience like, Steve? It was cool. I'd never seen either of them before live, so uh, liked them both. Caught most of Volbeat as well as Ghost, and uh, fans were enjoying it. There's one uh, there's one person in front of me. She wouldn't sit down the whole show, and it was weird. She was dancing and moving and videoing at the same time. So I can't even imagine how shaky her phone video has to be from the show last night because she never stayed in focus. She was just moving and dancing, and that phone was moving up and down while she was videoing the entire concert. Yeah, she probably went home a little disappointed that uh, that her videos weren't as stable as she probably thought. But, Steve, uh, let me ask you this. Where, where did you experience any problems in the lines or anything no, like that? No, easy, I got, but easy listen, access. I got in late because the show started, uh, I think, at 7. I didn't get into the building until probably 7.45, almost 8 o'clock, because of the okay. El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame nomination. Um, parked in the Sun Bowl lot. It was perfect. There was nobody there. Just, I mean, well, there were cars there, but there was nobody running the lot. So easy place to park. No line to get in. It was the best uh, opportunity uh, all the night. It was perfect. Good. Uh, was it a good crowd? Solid crowd. Not sold out, but not that far off either. They they drew well. They drew really well. The crowd was into it, which was cool too. Good it's, stuff. You know, usually from what I understand, Ghost plays about two and a half hours when they headline, but because it's a it's a co-headline, they each played about an hour and fifteen minutes apiece. I heard Ghost uh, was awesome yesterday. I heard they were they were awesome. They put on a fun show. I mean, it's a million-dollar stage, so they do a good job. And Volbeat, I mean, you know, again, it's funny. Uh, Volbeat's from Denmark. Ghost is from Sweden. So you have uh, two, uh, you know, Scandinavian uh, metal bands playing as co-headliners together. That's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it is, and I'm I'm glad. Uh, you know, the photos that I saw yesterday were cool. Like uh, Ghost, I didn't realize that they come out dressed like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it looked like it looked like a lot of energy out, out at the Haskins Center last night. It was definitely it was definitely fun. It really was. It was a good time. It was weird. I wanted to change. I had all my I had my jeans. I had my concert tee ready to go. But because I was so late getting out of the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame, I was in my slacks and polo shirt, and I looked around going, nah, better just uh, chalk this one up to uh, just get into the arena and, and, and don't worry about how you look. So, you know, I was probably the most, uh, I was probably the most well-dressed person at the show last night. 
Yeah, people probably thought that you were taking somebody like a son, you like your yeah. son or something like that. But no, that's awesome. You were you were there to rock out, Steve. You were there for your first concert since Kiss. So I'm glad yep. you got a chance to do that. It was definitely fun. And the best part I think of the whole night was uh, David from X minus one, who was who I, I took. Uh, I introduced him to Daniel Paulus from KLAQ. They never met each other. And, you know, the cool thing is is that Daniel's heard a lot of X-1's music, and, and they play it. So they got to connect for the first time, which was great. So they had a chance to meet and networked a little bit. And I'm like, this is good. Mission accomplished. Yeah, Q connected over there with Daniel Paulus. Exactly so good right. stuff. I'm, I'm happy to hear that X-1 has made it on there. They have. They've done a good job. Good stuff. They really have. That's right. 100%. All right. Um, as we wrap up our number one, I want to tell you what's coming up here in the next um, 40 minutes or so, okay? Because uh, joining us at the top of our 5 o'clock hour will be Eric Alwyn and Track Talk. Following that, Troy Aikman. That's right. Troy Aikman. About 25 minutes from now, we'll have that special conversation for you as well. You don't want to miss the 5 o'clock hour, folks. You don't want to miss any of Sports Talk right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. So we're going to spend uh, the beginning of uh, every 5 o'clock hour on Tuesdays uh, with this man. He is the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. He's Eric Alwyn. And uh, coming off of a huge, huge Sunday in which the Mind That Bird Derby saw none other than Straight Up G capture the win under uh, sports radio host uh, Jim Rome, who joined us uh, last week. And In fact, uh, Eric, great to have you back for Track Talk. How's everything going? Thank you, Steve. Steve, I think I'm going to go out on top. Got a brand new mic, as you can see. Yep. 100 singles titles. Got the $100,000 Lexi. Front page of the Times. I'm on your show, and you tell me I was on Jim Rome's show. I don't believe it. You are. handing over the reins. There you go. I like that. By the way, your call was on uh, was on Rome on Monday. In fact, he played the race and then gave his That's you know his exciting. his reaction to it. So yeah, you were probably heard by a couple million people on uh, on Monday. Well, it, it was gratifying, Steve. And uh, that horse is a real deal. A lot of speed, and can can extend it over a long distance. And I was impressed with Straight Up G. I, I thought that uh, you know having Jim Rome here just like all the other successes that we've had with the Southern Derby kind of lends itself to the thing that I've always been preaching to you over the years that, you know, we're, if we're not major league, we're, we're very, very close. And we've had, we've had instances here at Sutherland where stars have been born on this racetrack. And uh, for Jim Rome and Richard Baltus as trainer to, you know, think of us in high terms of bringing their expensive racehorse here, and maybe bring him back again for the Southern Derby. I mean, it shows that, you know, like a Phoenix, we, we, we've risen again. And uh, these last two years have been sobering, Steve, being closed for so long and losing two, not just one, but two Southern Derbies. It took a great effort on the part of management to get the momentum going again here at Sunland. So it was it was a gratifying day. There were there was about five thousand people here. And we did our seventh $1 million handle. And that's hard to do on a Sunday when you're going up against the majors. That's true. Uh, now, uh, Straight Up G was written by uh, Ricardo Gonzalez. Has he been to Sunland before over the years? 
I'm not too familiar with him, Steve. Um, I, I know that he rides a lot in California. His his ride was flawless. You know, he he knew Ricardo knew that to win this race with straight up G, he wanted to take the steam out of the field. Mm-hmm. The 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 splits were sharp. I mean, they were almost like a sprint race. And mind you, this mind that bird derby was a mile and sixteenth. I think he went quarter mile in twenty two seconds, a half mile in forty six. So it you know it kind of stands to reason that maybe uh, straight up G might have been getting a little tired at the end. It's hard to say. You know, he was in front by such a good margin at the top of the stretch that it was almost impossible to catch him. But I did think it was an excellent effort from our local horse, Bye Bye Bobby, Mm -hmm. who still is kind of learning how to relax at the beginning of the race so that he can finish fast. He didn't see, he still didn't want to relax too much going into the first turn. And when his jockey, Chirinos, got him going, it was just too late. But he ran a good second, and it's his second, uh, Straight second place performance in the Sunland Derby, but no doubt about it. You know, Jim Rome straight up G is the real deal. Was bet down to even money, you know, and delivered. Tell you what, uh, and according to uh, Rome, I guess he said he's going to leave it up to his team to decide uh, if the horse uh, recovers well mm-hmm. enough to race uh, in the Sunland Derby, which obviously has the coveted uh, 50 points for the Kentucky Derby. And you know that if that horse is okay, he'll be back because, uh, you know, there's just too much on the line to, to, to stay away, as is the best way to put it. Very well put, Steve. Those points, the money, you know, a half million dollars and an instant ticket into the Derby – you know, if you win our Sullen Derby. You know, I looked up Jim Rome on um, Wikipedia last night. What an impressive man. So much that he's done. I think he's the 21st most influential, uh, you know, radio personality in the country. So he's right up there with you. And he's won two Breeders' Cups with Ms. Direction, that mayor that I think I, t- I told you about last week. And if that's not enough, Jim Rome also owned a horse that won the Santa Anita Handicap and beat California Chrome twice in shared belief. So, I mean, for a guy that once said that horse racing is just a bet and it's not a sport, he's come full circle, Steve. He's done a 360, and he loves what horse racing means on all fronts, you know, from a spectator to an owner to appreciating the athlete, the equine athlete, and he cares for his horses so much. I, I was amazed at, you know, how ebullient he was when he won our race, you yep. know, the Mind That Bird Derby, which is, you know, no slouch. It's a $100,000 race, but, you know, Jim's been to the big time and and won a lot. So it was, he was, it was such a great interview too. So it was, you know, it helps. He helps someone a lot by participating in Absolutely. Absolutely. Eric Alwyn with us right now, the voice of Sullen Park Racetrack uh, and Casino as we get ready for this week's edition of Track Talk. By the way, that's a homebred horse, and he does not have a lot of horse, you know, horses in his stable. So to think right. that that horse, uh, you know, was was basically uh, bred there in his uh, with his team, and uh, as rare as that is to turn into a stakes winner like this, that that that's almost unheard of in the business when you're dealing with such a small head of horses like he has. Another very good point that you bring up: a homebred is what they call it, you know. You'll see the majors, you know, like uh, Calumet Farm or Stone Street or, you know, those big operations in Kentucky that can do it. But when you only have a few mares 
and then one of them can produce a stakes winner and you own the mama, you own her offspring. It's an extra special deal. I think one of the reasons that he wanted to come to Sunland, uh, in addition to that it leads to the Sunland Derby, is that Straight Up G had never faced what we call open competition before. Sure, he had run against really good California breads in Southern California, and that that, that means a lot anyway, because you're running at the big time. And California breads are strong. They're not Kentucky breads, though. Yeah. So, you know, so he proved that he can beat Kentucky breads when he won here. Eric, let's talk about also the uh, Red Heatman Mile, which was raced on uh, Sunday, along with the Island Fashion Stakes as well. And, um, you know, you also had um, the Albert and Henry Dominguez handicap. There was a lot of good, a lot of good stakes races on Sunday, in addition to the Minepper Derby. The drama was so high, Steve, that, you know, it was, as of the announcer, I didn't want to crescendo too much before the Minepper Derby, but those races were awesome. Listen to what Sea Emperor has done. And he won the, the first one, the Albert and Henry Dominguez Memorial Handicap. For the life of me, Steve, I cannot believe. I should have had you bet on it. Sea Emperor goes off at 7-8 to 1. You know what his record is over Sullen Park soil? 7 of 9. Absolutely loves this territory, our racetrack. Now, mind you, those many of those races were not stakes races, but he was a major threat. And he wanted over another hard-knocking performer called uh, Jit and G. And they put on quite a show. They were two closers. They both were near the lead at the top of the stretch, and they just battled it out all the way down. Sea Emperor won for Jose R. Gonzalez Jr. Remember this name, Steve, Luis Fuentes. He is going to be a, a major player at Sunland. Hopefully we can keep him. He's that good of a rider. He rode Sea Emperor. The other uh, race you, you commented on was the Allen Fashion. Miss Hard Knox wins again. She was the one that won the other lead-in race to our Sunland Oaks the borderplex, she comes from off the pace and just rolls away. So she looked great. She'll be a threat in the Oaks, Southern Park Oaks. She's trained by Bart Home. And the Red Heated Mile uh, was one in very good fashion, coming from well off the pace for Joel Marr, who uh, is a name we haven't heard too much of lately, the great trainer of Pepper's Pride. He won with Jet Set Warrior. So he's uh, rolling again. And uh, Joel Marr's been one of our leading trainers for so long. I would almost say that uh, Joel Marr uh, should probably be one of those Hall of Famers, right? Just because Definitely. he's been doing it for so many years and longevity. Definitely. And that's, that's, that's hard to find in this business, isn't it? Yeah. And he doesn't waste too much time with claimers, you know, or, you know, horses that he, he deals in the high end, the high end category of New Mexico breads. And that's where all the money is. You know, all of our New Mexico bread stakes races are $100,000. So each and every year, Joel seems to target those, and he's been just a fantastic trainer. And to, to have trained a champion like Pepper's Pride who never got beat, Joel will go down in the annals, not just in local history of horse racing, but national history. That's how good Joel is. Let's talk about the week coming up and what you have. Uh, obviously, uh, live racing is every Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Give me a preview of what to expect this weekend out here at Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. I don't know if we commented on it, but some big news, Steve. Uh, we had a 25% purse increase that takes place. I think it's already kicked in. So we're giving away about $60,000 extra per day than we were before. 
So we could look for a really strong last uh, 20 days of live meat. I think that's how many days we, we still have left. But uh, we have a curable handicap on Saturday, and it's going to feature the return of that half-brother to mine that bird who's looks stunning here at Sunland. Mine that star. Judge Lanier Racing owns it. Uh, he was a horse that once sold for a ton of money. I think about a half million. But the connections sort of gave up on him. And here's uh, the McKenna's. Uh, Tom and Sandy McKenna, they pick up the horse for much, much less than that. And what does he do? He rolls off four or five wins here in New Mexico, including the Wincham Lad last time out. So I look for him to be a big factor on Saturday. And then there's the Pepper's Pride Handicap, which is ironic that that one's coming up now. That'll be on Sunday. I like a horse called Our Time to Shine in that one. Tell me a little bit about the Pepper's Pride Handicap. Will there be a pretty nice field all in all? I haven't seen the form yet. Uh it's a race for New Mexico bred females going long. So you need that stamina. You need that punch. And there was a race that I called about a month ago and our time to shine just rolled and it was going six and a half. And I already know that she likes to route. So it could be her coming out party to win uh, her first stakes race. She stakes placed, but uh, that would be a nice one to, to pull down. I think Todd has a horse in the race. Uh, Todd Fincher proofs in the pudding. She's a horse that's been uh, chasing the likes of Slammed. I don't think you know about Slam yet because we didn't, we weren't doing the show when she was running. But she's the male New Mexico breads going short or long. Kind of interesting to find out why Slam isn't in that race. Eric Alwyn, the uh, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino, with us here on Track Talk. When does uh, the free nominations for the Sunland Derby end? I don't know. I have to look that up. I think it's. I think it's pretty soon. Yep. I think that they have to, all they have to do is, you know, put their name on that list. It's free. And then to enter is when they have to pay. That's when they have to pay. So we'll be finding out more concrete who's coming. When I see that uh, list of horses that are on that plane, that always comes in to the airport, say four or five days before, but we'll see the manifest before that, but we'll have a few more weeks to kind of recruit, make phone calls. I know Dustin Dix has been super excited about it. And I know our racing secretary thinks that we'll at least have 10. So it's going to be a good size field, maybe eight for the Oaks. And we'll probably have 12 races on that day. It could be a, you know, a monster day. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to the weeks leading up to it. As we continue here on track talk, Eric, always a pleasure. Thanks for the time. and Look forward to doing it again with you right back here next Tuesday. See you next week, Steve. Thank you. It's Track Talk with Eric Alwyn, the voice of Sullivan Park Racetrack and Casino, as we continue here on Sports Talk. We'll take a timeout when we come back. Troy Aikman will join us next. Stay with us. Charlie One back with his traffic update. As we continue, we got a real treat for you right now, folks. Uh, in fact, uh, joining us via Zoom is uh, the one and only Troy Aikman as we get a chance to talk uh, about something we love here on the show, beer, specifically elite light Lager, and that's the uh, eight uh, elite light lager, which uh, is going to be here in El Paso, and uh, obviously getting a chance to spend a little time with a Trakeman to talk uh, a little beer and, and some football on the show is something that we really enjoy. First off, we appreciate you joining us via Zoom, and and thanks so much for the time today, Troy. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure to be on your show. Tell me about uh, your your venture into the world of beer, and and really how long. Eight Elite Light Lager has has been in the works. 
Well, it's been in the works for over two years. Uh, I had loosely been involved, I guess, in the beer business. I worked for a beer distributor when I was in college before I transferred to UCLA. And then I've got some really close friends that are in the uh, distributing business, done a lot with their companies. And then I was a spokesman for a couple brands there nationally over the years. But never imagined that I'd be making my own beer. But I, I, I met my now partners through a mutual friend, started talking about it. Uh, felt that 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 category, I was, I've always been a beer drinker, I've always been a light beer drinker, and felt that that category uh, was in need of something new and something fresh and thought we could do it a little bit differently. So we started down that path and, and eight was born. And I'm really proud of uh, the end product. Now, you could have gone in a lot of beer directions because craft beer has exploded over the last 10-plus years, but you said it. You drink light beer, so was that really the inspiration to come up with a a 90-calorie beer that was also low in carbs and something that could just be an alternative to what a lot of people are drinking today? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I just wanted everything that I've tried to do, I've tried to do it uh, because it's authentic to who I am. And so when when we began talking about it, I said, I'll I'll be interested if, in fact, it's a light beer, low calorie, low carb beer and it fits my lifestyle and and it's consistent with uh, with the beer that I drink. And so uh, there was never any way it was going to be different from that in order for me to be a part of it. And we started down that path. And, and what, what has differentiated us from others is that we have no adjuncts and no fillers. There's no corn, no rice, no syrups, no added sugars. We're an all malt light beer. And we did not sacrifice taste at all. Uh, we have a lot of flavor for such a light beer that, as you said, 90 calories, 2.6 carbs, organic ingredients. Um, I refer to it as a better for you beer. Um, and our it's a lifestyle brand, quite honestly. We, we gear it towards people, we call them early risers, but it's people who wake up in the morning who have a purpose and a passion to be their best and are willing to put in the work to do their best. And I work hard during the week. I'm very mindful of what I put into my body but at the same time, uh, I also enjoy having a beer with family and friends. And I like having a, br- a beer to celebrate life's small victories. And so I want to be able to do that without sacrificing all of the hard work during the week. And I feel that eight beer allows me to do that. Meanwhile, um, as you started getting deeper and deeper into this, uh, talk about the education of really what it goes into making beer and what you've learned along the way as you've tried to perfect eight elite light lager. Well, uh, I learned a lot. I will tell you that. I've, I've always been pretty good at drinking it. Uh, never was one that knew how to make it. And we went. We partnered with the Oregon State University Food and Science Department. They've got a fantastic uh, beer program. Got some real experts involved in it. Uh, I've been through a lot of breweries. I've, I've been through the process as to how the beer is all put together. I'm still not an expert in that space. Uh, there's a lot to it. What I didn't realize... Probably the biggest education is that the category that we chose, first of all, is the most competitive of all the categories in, in, in beer. But I didn't realize how hard a light beer is to make uh, because you can't hide any impurities. Uh, so you've got to be really on your game, especially for the beer that we're making. So uh, that's been that's been a, a it's challenging but uh, we've got the right people who are doing it. And uh, like I said, I'm really proud of what we've come up with. 
Troy, the Eight Elite Athlete Network is also up on your website right now with an application process. Uh, can you tell, tell us a little bit about what this is about? Yeah, basically, uh, we want some athletes that represent what we feel the beer represents. Uh, and that is those that want to be their best. Uh, and I say their best. It's not always athletic. It's not always an athletic endeavor. But it's those who wake up and have a passion and a purpose and, 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 and want to be whether they want to put in the work to be the best person they can be or to build a business or to pursue a dream, you know, whatever that might be. The, the people that have inspired me over my life are the ones who have been willing to put in the work to achieve whatever it is that is important to them. And this is who this beer eight has been made for. Uh, it's a lifestyle brand. So for those people that you mentioned, uh, our brand athletes, they represent what our beer represents. I feel like I represent what our beer represents, which was important because every step of the way of this company I've been involved in and every part of it is consistent with my beliefs and who and what I've been and what I am. Troy Aikman with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. So this could be anybody from just a weekend uh, workout warrior. Could we potentially see NIL deals with college athletes as well? Uh, I don't expect that. No, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a fan of this whole NIL thing. I, I am a fan of athletes being paid, of of, ath- of college athletes being paid. As a former college athlete myself, I understand the challenges uh, of the student athlete. So I, I was in favor of that, but I, I, I'm just. I hope I'm wrong. I, I do hope I'm wrong. But but NIL to me. Uh, from what I know of it, just just feels like a really slippery slope, uh, and it and it changes the dynamic of the amateur athlete, and I think the college experience. If you were right now in your college prime, let's just say like you were at UCLA, but you were transported into 2022, so social media and the internet and everything the way it is right now, would it have been tough for you to um, you know, grow on and off the field like you did years ago when really we didn't have nearly what we, what we have today as, as far as uh, you know, social media and people being able to interact with each other? You know, it's a really good question. I, I, I've never thought of it in terms of, of my development as a quarterback. Uh, I have thought about it as my, in my development as a broadcaster. And, and I think my path and journey would have looked much different had I broken into this business w- when social media uh, was around. Because when I did in 2001, th- there wasn't yet social media. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Instagram. There wasn't any of those things. Uh, so that has changed. Uh, as far as development of young athletes, uh, I think it has impacted the sports world in some way. You know, I think that not necessarily in a bad way, but I think that athletes now uh, are aware. Uh, there's a lot of talk about brand building and what that might mean. And, and social media plays a big role in that. So it has impacted, I think, the individualism uh, of team sports and the athletes themselves. 
Troy Aikman with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. You know this area well because uh, eight Elite Light Lager will be coming to El Paso now. People have a chance to to purchase it and drink it and enjoy it like you've been talking about during this conversation. But you came here 25 years ago when the idea of putting a controlled scrimmage in the Sun Bowl first yeah. started to surface. I covered those games at the same radio station, and it's crazy to think it's been that long. But for three, wow. you know, for three years in a row, Troy, the Cowboys were here and we were putting 40,000-plus in the Sun Bowl to essentially just watch a, a controlled scrimmage. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I was just talking to somebody about uh, El Paso and about those scrimmages that we would have, and the atmosphere there was electric. I mean, you were there. You remember it. It was, it was phenomenal, the support that we had. I, I, I have not spent a great deal of time in El Paso since, uh, UCLA played in the Sun Bowl one year. I went down. I was still playing uh, whatever year that was. I will tell you, I just told my partner, Doug Campbell, yesterday here in Dallas. We were at an event together, and we had such a great response in San Antonio last week when we were there. I said, you know what? I really want to go to San Antonio. I want to put together a couple-day event in San Antonio and, 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 and see those people again because they were fantastic when I was there for that scrimmage and would love to be back down there and be a part of it. So uh, I should be getting back down to El Paso soon in, in the coming weeks ahead of us, and we'll definitely let you and, and everyone know about that. But, yeah, great experience. Uh, I love the whole setting, that stadium with the, with the mountains right there and uh, just fantastic. So a special part of Texas for sure. No doubt. And uh, there were even rumors after those scrimmages that the Cowboys could have possibly moved uh, their training camp to El Paso. They were talking about building a whole complex because it, it was a pretty big deal. Jerry came here and obviously was impressed with what he had a chance to see. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the Oilers, the Raiders, and the Chargers might have been the three teams you went up against those three seasons. Well, I was going to, I was waiting for you to say the Chargers because I knew one year it was the Chargers. And what I remember from that is that the Chargers flew in from San Diego. It was a shorter flight from that for them from San Diego to El Paso than it was from us for, from Dallas. And I thought, if there's ever, a, if you ever want to uh, know just how big the state of Texas is, you know, Comprehend that for a minute, that yeah. coming from Dallas was a longer trip than coming from San Diego to go to El Paso, Texas. It's pretty crazy. Now, uh, your friendship with Babe Loffenberg is well chronicled from your days playing together with the Cowboys till today. Um, and I know that as uh, being as close as to Babe and Jason Garrett, for that matter, as you are, obviously the Luke Laufenberg story, uh, very well chronicled here in El Paso and what he meant to the UTEP community and what obviously the Laufenberg family is all about. That is near and dear to your heart. And uh, your friendship even co- consisted of a, of a big contribution as Babe started to put the Luke Laufenberg fight station together here at UTEP. Yeah, uh El Paso and UTEP has become uh, a special part of my life because of my relationship with Babe Laufenberg and then, of course, his sons, both of his sons. And you mentioned Luke, who passed, and the people there in El Paso that are associated with the university, they're certainly aware of it. And I know Babe continues to support the program and what he's continued to do in memory of Luke. And, and so um, it's I, I through Babe... Last night, I, I just had a conversation with your quarterback, uh, 
Gavin Hardison uh, talked to him. They start spring ball today, uh, and he's going to be wearing number two uh, in memory of Luke. So that's a big honor for him. I know that he's excited about it, and I'm I'm pulling for UTEP. I've got I've got my UCLA Bruins. Uh, I pull for Southern Methodist University. My daughter goes there. It's right in my backyard here in Dallas. But UTEP is on that short list of universities that I follow uh, with a passion. That's awesome. And, and I'm telling you, um, the fact that uh, you had a chance to talk to Gavin is terrific because he's spent the last couple of years now quarterback wearing that number two this season. And obviously, uh, if Gavin Hardison has a big season, chances are the Miners are going to have a pretty big season as well. That, well, no question. And that's, uh, you know, I think the quarterbacks always had a, a, an impact on the success of these football teams going back to even when I was playing, but now more so than ever. So I'm really pulling for him. I know he's looking forward to a bright future uh, and can't wait to see how he performs and how the team performs throughout the year. Um, I'll, I'll, I want to keep going with the UTEP football talk, Troy. Uh, the, U, the UTEP nutrition station in name of Luke Loffenberg has been a big success lately. Dana Dimmel talked about your contributions to it. I, I mean, why was this so important for you to, to get accomplished here in El Paso as well? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's through those that we care and we love. And, and through my friend, you know, Babe Loffenberg was my backup when I first started in the NFL at the age of 22. He lived above me. Uh, in the apartment uh, complex that I was at. On our days off, he would call me up and invite me up. He'd be cooking breakfast. I'd go up and have breakfast. It was a miserable year. I was 0-11 as a starter. He was 1-15. I tried cooking him dinner one time. He still makes fun of me and tells me it's the worst meal he's ever had in his life. Um, But through that relationship, through our friendship, uh, and no, I can't imagine I've got two daughters, uh, 19 and 20 years old. I, I, I can't, I don't think any parent can. And there, yet there are parents out there who have had to endure the loss of a child. Uh, my heart breaks, uh, for a special friend. And so something that's important to him, I want to rally and get behind, um, is, is why I have supported it and, uh, why I continue to support the UTEP organization. I love how close you still are to this day, both with Babe and Jason Garrett. And sometimes we'll see the three of you together and Babe will put a picture up or you'll put a picture up. It shows me that, you know, even if it's been so many years removed from playing with each other with the Cowboys, uh, friends for life. Well, I'm asked a lot about my experiences in the NFL and even college, high school. I think we can all relate to it. I think sports is the, the common denominator when you can get people and bring them together. Uh, for a common goal. I, I think our politicians could probably learn a lot from, from sports. But, uh, yeah, we had a lot of great games, a lot of great wins and things of that nature. But, you know, what came of those years and those experiences are the re- relationships and the friendships that were forged. And uh, it's what I'm most proud of. So, yeah, Jason, Babe, I could go through a long list. Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, Kevin Gogan, there's a lot of them. But those are lifelong friends that will never change. How often do people ask you, in your opinion, the greatest quarterback in the history of the Cowboys franchise? Uh, well, I was with Roger Staubach, the greatest of them all, yesterday. And uh, so I, I don't get asked that often because it's pretty unanimous that he's the greatest that ever has worn the, the, the silver and blue and the star on his helmet. Uh, whenever he's with me, he can't. he always at the mic says, and I'm here with the the best quarterback in Cowboys history, and it's uh, 
you know, I, he diffuses it before I have the chance to say it, I guess. But he's been the standard not only for Cowboys quarterbacks, but just how to how to live a life. Uh, he's incredible. Troy Aikman with us here on Sports Talk. Uh, so you go through your entire NFL career with one franchise, which is so rare, especially these days in the uh, you know the era of free agency. But you play the whole time as a Cowboy, and then you have an incredible run as a broadcaster. And for the first time in your life, really since your college days, you find yourself now a free agent. What's that like for you? Uh, it's 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 been exciting. You know, it's uh, it's been good. It's been interesting. Um, I, I think what's come of it is I think you get a different appreciation for for how you're valued or what others think of you. You know, for 21 years, uh, I, I really I knew how Fox viewed me, but I didn't know how I was viewed outside of that company. And so for now to be able to talk to others with uh, with other networks and hear them tell me what they think of my work and the job that I've done for the last two decades, uh, it's felt good. You know, it's, it's been rewarding in that respect. Do people have any idea what goes into each broadcast as far as your homework and behind the scenes go? Because as a quarterback, they know the preparation you got to put in for every game as a player, but as a broadcaster, how many do you think most people probably have no idea when they watch you every week, really what you have to do to get yourself ready for every game broadcast? Uh, the answer to that is an easy no, and, I, and I'm not sure that even pe- some people within networks understand the amount of work that goes into it. I had a boss years ago, uh, I was commenting about something about our schedule, and he said, look, all I know is you work three hours a week. And I, I remember thinking to myself, wow, he, he really has no idea what I do for a living, you know, that there's a lot of work. And, and I've read recently about some coaches who may come out of coaching and go into broadcasting they're saying yeah you work one day a week and and i and i you 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 never work just one day a week i mean there's work that goes into each and every day so you know i was on a thursday sunday schedule for the last four years and it's a load i mean it is a lot and it's all consuming uh one day one game a week is is not as bad but no there's a lot that goes into it i guess you never feel like you know everything you need to know. There's always more that you could know going into a broadcast, more you could know about a situation or about a player or a coach or a team or whatever it might be. Uh, some people get away with less. Uh, for me, it requires a lot for me to be able to get to a comfort level to where I feel I can go in and do the game uh, the way that I feel it needs to be done. How about your relationship with, uh, with Joe, Joe Buck, uh, especially uh, off, you know, out of the broadcast area? Well, we've been together for 20 years. Uh, he's been my broadcast partner. We've gone through a lot of life experiences together, and we've traveled a lot together. We're, we're best friends. Uh, we travel together in the offseason. We used to do more of that because I used to golf. I gave up golfing about five years ago. Uh, he's still an avid golfer and a really good player. But we spend a lot of time together. We go have dinners. Uh, we're planning on getting together here in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm going to go see him in, in St. Louis. He's got a new place. I've been down to Mexico where he's got a place. But it's I know in this business, that not that not that partners don't get along, but I think it's rare that partners are as good of friends out of the broadcast booth like Joe and I are. And we don't take that for granted. I think I think it's what has allowed us to to have the success that we've had. I think viewers, when they hear us, I think they can tell 
because uh, I don't think you can fake that. I don't think you can fake chemistry. I think I think the viewer senses, wow, these guys really do like each other and they really do get along. And I think it's part of our success. I think it's a big part of our success. Troy, as we wrap things up, I want to mention the website, 8beer.com. That's uh, 8 spelled out, 8beer.com. Uh, you mentioned possibly coming to El Paso in the future. I think that would be great, especially since 8 Elite Light Lager is now here in El Paso. 90 calories, 2.6 carbs, folks. And as Troy's been telling us throughout this interview, it's a lifestyle, and that's what got him into this and why he's so passionate about this beer. Even says on the top of the can, no shortcuts, and that really sums up uh, what 8 Elite Light Lager is about. Can you see more beer being made along the same styles in the future? Or do you like the idea of just having one beer, one type, and branding it like that here uh, You know, for years to come? Yeah, great question. Uh, right now, uh, we're, we're locked in on 8 Elite Light Lager and, and just making this the best light beer that we possibly can. But with that said, uh, you know, we've we've sat around and kicked around ideas like, hey, what if we were to get into a non-alcoholic type beer? What if we were to get into, you know, maybe something a little more full bodied uh, rather than a light beer? What what might that look like? What might we call that? So we've had those conversations. But uh, quite honestly, we're locked in on this one. Uh, we, we start we're, we're uh, on premise right now in select bars and restaurants across the state of Texas. That began on February first and we will be in stores beginning um, April 1st so excited for that next rollout uh, off premise and and getting it into people's hands more people's hands and getting their feedback on what they think of it congratulations obviously uh, on the beer and uh, hey we want to just thank you for all the time you've given us today great getting a chance to sit down and talk to you and really excited uh, about uh, everything happening with the beer obviously your connection to uh, the Laufenberg family in UTEP and look forward to uh, seeing you when you come back in town thank you so much appreciate you having me he's Troy Aikman folks as we continue here on Sports Talk come back with more in a moment on 600 TSPN El Paso Leading Amarillo Palo Duro 38-20 at the half. And uh, America's really impressed. They right now are playing a defensive clinic in their game because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just 12 points is what they've given up so far through the first two quarters of basketball. Yeah, and I was talking to Coach Mike Brooks yesterday in, in that interview, and I thought one of the things that really stuck out to me when he was uh, talking a little bit about Keller Central, which, by the way, last week I, I talked to you, Steve, about how, oh, Keller Central's going to get killed against Friendship. There's no chance. Friendship's one of the best teams in the in the state. And what ends up happening, uh, it was a bad matchup, according to Coach Brooks. Uh, Friendship just uh, could not lock down that Keller Central athletic team, and um, you know, as a result, Keller Central ended up advancing. But America's knew the scouting report; they knew that they were athletic. They knew that they had to slow the game down, and so uh, the Trailblazers are playing their brand of basketball, which is uh, keeping uh, you know control of their own pace and uh, really playing to their strengths. So, yeah, America's, which has a ton of seniors on this team, maybe this could be the team that we should talk about here out of El Paso. We'll keep an eye on the uh, second half of action as these games get back underway. Hey, meanwhile. Uh- Give me your thoughts on the whole situation with right now the Sunbelt and CUSA. Sunbelt releases this morning their conference football schedule, and lo and behold, they included Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss, just like Conference USA. So right now, those three schools have different 
conference schedules because they are both listed under CUSA and the Sun Belt. And more than likely, the Sun Belt's going to win out and CUSA will lose when this is all said and done. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not surprised. I kind of saw this coming. If it wasn't from the Sun Belt side of things, it could have been from either you know Old Dominion releasing their uh, their improved schedule or something like that. Same with Marshall and, of course, Southern Miss. Now, my biggest thing with all of this, now, I, I thought the dominoes really fell yesterday when uh, Southern Miss joined Marshall in their lawsuit, but they joined independently, and they uh, they had a restrict uh, restraining order against Conference USA, and Old Dominion had support for those two, uh, you know, those two lawsuits that are going on right now. So again, everybody's against Conference USA right here, yep. and uh, it just seems like this is getting uglier and uglier. One more scoring update: Felix Chavez just tweeting this out about uh, a minute ago. Chapin leading Paulo Duro now. Get this, fifty-three to twenty-one. Man, that's awesome. Paulo Duro, Amarillo Paulo Duro this year was supposed to go uh, far into the state tournament. And the Chapin Huskies, who just got back their uh, sensational player in K.J. Lewis, man, they've stormed out in a huge way, locking down defensively and really relying on just not, you know, not just K.J. Lewis, their whole team, Antoine Holmes, Martinetti. Yep. Uh, they've got a, a nice team, Brandon Himes. They've got a good team right there. When we return... We're going to have Alfred Hollins and Giles Dekanik with us via Zoom. A couple of UTEP uh, minors as they get ready for their senior day uh, this Saturday. So that's all coming up via Zoom. Sports Talk continues right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. Start of our final hour here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We've got a couple of minors uh, that are going to be uh, joining us in a moment on senior day for uh, Saturday. You know... Adrian, I've learned something here in the last two minutes. We've been screwing up poor uh, Giles' name for the last, what, three or four years now since he's been a UTEP. It's crazy. Adrian, I can't hear you. Let me see. There we go. Now I got you. Go okay. ahead. Uh, I'm just saying, I didn't know this on my end. I'm happy that we know this now. And th what a great time because we know this right uh, before we get ready for senior day on Saturday. we got to turn that music down a little bit uh, from Sammy Hagar. We'll do that right now. But yes, so apparently the correct pronunciation is not Giles Dekonic, like we've been saying. It's Gilles Dekonic. How about that? Gilles Dekonic. Am no, I, you're am exactly I, right. Gilles, you're am exactly I close? Right, am I close on that? Are we close? You're really close. Yeah. Really close. You nailed it. It's like uh, you're from Belgium. The way you said it, it sounds like uh, <laughs> you're from my hometown, you know? So good job. I appreciate that. Although Alfred Holland is also with us right now. And, and Alfred, you told me you've got, you've got different names for him, right? It's not – you don't have to worry about just calling him Giles or Gilles. You got, you've, got, you've got other names. Yeah, yeah, we call him uh, G Money or GQ sometimes. You know, he's, he's the uh, best dress on the team. Man. I give it to him. You know, fashionable oh, no. guy. I, I like nah, that. He's <laughs> no, no, he's a fashionable guy, man. You know, he's a model, so we give it to him. Uh, Gio, what do you prefer? Do you prefer G Money or GQ? What, uh, which one? <laughs> um, G Money, because I feel like GQ is a little. Uh, it's just too much for me. G Money is cool. It's funny. It's I like it. GQ, it's. Uh, it's a little, a little too much for me. Well, I hear you. I listen. All right. Uh, G Money, we appreciate your time being on with us. Uh, Alfred Hollins with us. Alfred, what's your nicknames? I mean, everybody's got nicknames. Gilles, what do we call What do we call uh, number 15 on the team? What's What's his nickname? Al. We call Al. Big Al. 
Man, that's all. Yeah, Big Al. Yeah, yeah Al, Big, Big Al, Al. Al. Yeah. You like uh, what? What do you prefer, Big Al? Yeah, Big Al. Al, cool. Or like um, Sule now be like beaming. I don't know what that means, but yeah, you just say beaming. <laughs> so we should be going with that. But definitely, um, yeah, Big Al. Al's cool. Al's simple, easy. Everybody calls him so. He calls yeah. you beaming. Yeah, it's from a movie. It's just a funny. It's an insider. It's an insider. It's just it's real funny. We all got nicknames for each other, so. It keeps our camaraderie and our team pretty close. I think us just cracking jokes on each other and having nicknames for each other. I like that. And by the way, I mean, you think about this. This is uh, this was uh, you know Gilles' fourth season with the team. He came over when Rodney Terry first arrived here at UTEP, uh, and and been here, and he's getting ready to be honored Saturday on Senior Day. You just came this season, so tell yeah. me a little bit about how how you were able to bond with this group when uh, you arrived here in the summer from last summer from Oregon State. Yeah, uh, I bonded with these guys uh, pretty quick. I mean, we had, like, a well-diverse team. Um, everybody was open. There was really no egos when I got there. Like, So it was really easy. Uh, everybody was open, uh, welcoming me with open arms from the coaching staff to the players to the community. So it made the transition real easy. Um, and, yeah, I think just us, like, uh, like I say, just throughout the time. Um, and G probably know from uh, our camping trip and stuff, I think we really grew from there and just doing activities and stuff, getting to know each other, uh, no service. So we had no choice to talk. Just do like little things like that, you know, throughout the course of the season. Um, yeah, a, a lot of adversity we faced with injuries and COVID. I think just made us all come uh, together and help my transition. So, yeah. Had you ever been on a team bonding camping trip before? Uh, not like that one. No, that one was uh, different. It was like in the really in the woods, uh, no service. But we had lots of fun. Man. We did um, just um, competition stuff, paintballing, just, you know, coach made it like team hikes and stuff. So it was good. We all just getting the. Uh, Getting out of our comfort zone, just getting to know each other. I think that really made us close. Gilles, what was that? Yeah, what was that like for you? Just out of curiosity, since you spent uh, three seasons with a different staff, uh, what was that whole experience like for you? Um, it was. You mean like the the camping trip, or just like the overall? I'll say this: uh, give me the camping trip, but also what the overall experience uh, was like for you. Sure, we'll take both. Well, the camping trip was definitely different. Um, it got a we got a great feel for the coaching staff early on, um, and it was really fun. Also, weird to be you know disconnected nowadays in the social media world, uh, where we were cracking jokes around the fire and hearing stories from Coach Boykins in the NBA, and it was just it was a really good time. And um, the team definitely got a lot better after that. Um, and I would say. You know, with three different staffs. I mean, Coach Terry's staff was pretty much the same. There were some minor uh, changes. Um, but the transition from Fresno State to uh, El Paso went, went pretty good to UTEP. Um, I would just say maybe the change with Coach Golding. At first, I was a little hesitant because I was, you know, with Coach Terry for four years, the coaching staff. I mean, they taught me more than my family did. So um, it, I, I, was really, I was really close with them. And. Uh, seeing them leave, I had, you know, questions, but Coach Golding, he did an absolute, like, amazing job of just, you know, being there, playing, like, almost like a father role and really embracing us as uh, as, as young uh, young kids, you know, in college. So, but it's been, it's been great. And all three staffs have been all very welcoming, very uh, warm-hearted. So, yeah, it's been great. Alfred, for you, you come from Oregon State to, as a graduate transfer. What was your transfer process like, and why did you decide ultimately UTEP for your final stop? Uh, stop? Um, the process, uh, it was um, really long. You know, it was my first time in the transfer 
Porter or stuff like that. So just talking to a lot of different teams, um, figuring out the best fit. And ultimately, um, with Coach Golden and the coaching staff, uh, they, you know, they gave me a call. Um, I know Sule from back home and stuff too, so I made it a lot easier. But um, just talking to him, man, you, you heard the the passion in his voice. And uh, G could attest to this, you know, just talk, if you talk to Coach Golden, you know, you, he's always with energy, you know, like with passion. So, you know, that, that, that speaks value, you know, player, coach. And um, yeah, just the whole process, it was just figuring each other out, just trying to develop a great fit for uh, me, uh, not only on a basketball court, but educational-wise as well, academically. So um, I know I'm not going to phone with him. Coach Cox and the coaching staff, um, them guys had a really good, uh, great uh, game plan set up for me going into my last year. And um, it felt like something that, you know, we could make uh, – a lot of history and just you know turn a lot of heads and uh, prove a lot of doubters wrong and I think that's uh, what we've been doing since I got here just turning the program around for better um, you know doing things that haven't been done in a couple of years or winning on the road and just just his uh, I think his intensity and just him you know being detailed with his players being a player coach uh, made my decision you know um, a lot easy. Al how far back do you go with Sule when did you first really get to know each other? Um, AAU ball growing up, um, I played for the um, San Francisco Rebels. He played for the Oakland Rebels. So, um, yeah, and then uh, just being in Bay Area, you know, we just know it from each other. So I would have to say probably like five, ten years, by like five, seven years maybe we've been knowing each other. Yeah, probably around that time since, uh, since youth ball, yeah, AAU growing up and stuff like that. Was there a pretty good rivalry between the two of you because those two teams, was uh, San Fran <laughs> AAU and Oakland AAU pretty competitive? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, the, the whole program, us, us, us both being the Adidas team. So, um, yeah, we always play against each other. Um, it's just a battle of the Bay Area, just Oakland versus San Francisco. But through those times, yeah, we we, um, yeah, we got to know each other. And uh, it's, it's just respect level on both parts for each other. I respect what he could do is vice versa. So we was just uh, real close. And I think we became closer just coming to college. This is my first time actually, like, playing on a team with him. Usually I play against him, so it was a little weird But uh, when I first got here. But it's been good, though. Um, yeah, like we just respect each other on and off the court. So definitely a genuine real quick, friendship. Real quick follow-up on this one, Alfred. What is it mm-hmm. like going up against Sule? It must be frustrating because <laughs> if he's if you're getting a bunch of fouls called against you, you must be a little yeah. frustrated there. Uh, Luckily, I don't have to go against him no more. But um, when I was, I definitely like I'm just – he's a uh, he's a great scorer, man, a three-level scorer. He has a knack for it to getting the ball in the basket. So uh, it's – It'd be very frustrating, but luckily me, you know, I know a couple of tactics to getting out of this game and just knowing them from uh, growing up and stuff. So it's fun though. But just uh, you know, yeah, yeah, man, he's a he's a nightmare for the defense for sure. Just him being able to open up the floor, like I say, score all, all three levels, and uh, just yeah, his IQ is I think underrated as well. Gilles, for you growing up in Belgium, I mean, you probably don't have AAU ball there like we have here. Was that one of the reasons why you made the decision to uh, to come to prep school and, and have the chance to play in the States? Um, yeah, so we don't have AAU ball. Um, actually, the, the only reason I came to the United States in the first place just was because I wanted to do like a, like a gap year because I was initially going to study in Belgium and uh, going to play for uh, like a, a pro team or a club team. Um, but then after I, I didn't know a lot of, uh, about college when I was in my prep school, uh, and I just learned more. And then from one thing came another, and um, that's when I kind of got in contact with uh, Coach Madsen after my prep school year. Um, and uh, he had kind of been the person um, that got me to Fresno State. So um, yeah, in, in a way, um, that's been kind of like the reason. Uh, for me coming to the United States at first, you know, cause you know, basketball in the United States, it's always like the courts are pretty style of play is different. It's, it's so different from Europe in many ways. And, um, 
I had a great experience in the prep school and I looked into the opportunity of going to college. Uh, it was there and that's why we're talking right now, right? So, yeah. <laughs> what was it like growing up in Belgium? Tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Um, you know, growing up in Belgium, I'm from a really small town, uh, about like twenty to 30,000 people. Um, and I had just always played for my hometown team, which is a really, really small club. Um, and I tried to take basketball series around like 16, 17, which is crazy because in America, they get really serious around like 13, 14, now even younger, and they have like all these camps set up. And it's not like that back home at all. So when somebody, when like a special tenant, like a tenant, like a talent from like Europe, let's say like Luka Doncic, like a player like that, like they play in a pro club in the best division when they're 15, 16 years old, you know, like in Madrid or at these top teams. And, you know, we don't have college sports. So if you make it in Europe, it's through a club team. And if you get scouted to America, you have to, you know, really play in a club, in a club team. So, and it's hard to get on the radar in Europe because there's a lot of club teams all over Europe. Um, but uh, I took it serious around 16, 17 uh, for two, three years. And I've gotten better. I've got my growth spurt. And yeah, from there on, got scouted for the prep school. That's wild. Uh, by the way, uh, just out of curiosity, since you're talking about, you know, 16, 17 in Belgium, how old are you now? I'm 23, 23. Okay. So 23, and this is really your, uh, this is what, your your fifth year in college, correct? So you came into yes. Fresno as an 18-year-old. Yes, correct. I came into Fresno as an 18-year-old, and I left the United States when I was 17. Wow. Um, so it's been quite the journey, honestly. It's been six years, and now I'm trying to apply for my green card. It's not that easy. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's been quite the journey, a lot of experiences. Uh, I've seen a lot through basketball and, you know, the places basketball has, has taken me. It's absolutely incredible. Al, could you imagine yourself kind of where Gilles is, where you're 18, you leave the States, you move to Europe, and you spend the next four or five years uh, playing ball in Europe away from your family like that? And um, I have talked to him. That's that's a wild journey, you know. But uh, it's just a testament to show type person is, you know, uh, change is good sometimes. So him taking that leap of faith and coming out here, expanding, you know, his goals and stuff like that. I think that that, that says a lot. But, yeah, uh, definitely uh, wild. To, I didn't even know that. So that's was wild to know just to hear and listen firsthand um, his story and stuff like that and what got him here. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. It sure does. All right, guys, stick around for a second. We're going to come right back and continue our conversation with both uh, Alfred Hollins and uh, Gilles DeConic as we continue on Sports Talk, talking uh, to a pair of minors on Senior Day this Saturday. But first, uh, let's go out to Charlie One. Quarter past as we continue. He's got a traffic update for us. 19 past as we continue here on Sports Talk. Our conversation here this hour is with uh, Alfred Hollins and uh, Gilles DeConic, a pair of minor seniors who will be honored on Saturday as UTEP gets ready to uh, host uh, North Texas. Huge road, sw- uh, huge home swing for UTEP, by the way, with Rice on Thursday and then North Texas on Saturday. Gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the show. We appreciate you both, uh, again, giving us uh, the time today to talk and, and talk about the two of you and kind of how your seasons have gone, how the team has gone. Al, I'll ask you. I mean, the Miners have a winning record in Conference USA. I think that, uh, you know, this team is saving their best for last. With Keontae coming back, that made a big difference against you 
UAB and a game you guys, I'm sure, feel like you had a great opportunity to win. You played a terrific uh, game in that one, and it seems like, Al, you always do the little things that don't necessarily show up in all the stat sheet, but you make the big rebounds, you're guarding hard, you get a couple of big baskets, and it seems like, uh, again, you might not have to average 12, 15, 20 a game, but a lot of minor fans uh, appreciate the effort that you've been able to give. Yeah, uh, like just like you say, man, little things. Um, you know, we have talented scorers and Sule, JB, you know. Um, I think those guys do a good job of being our, pr- our primary scorers. You know, me just as a basketball player, um, even with coach, you know, just coming in, um, my main focus wasn't scoring. You know, I know I, if I needed to or something, I could get knocked down a shot or get to the basket or create a play for others. But um, like you say, just doing, taking part in little things, you know, um, that don't show up, in a, uh, show up in a stat sheet. You know, the things that people might not want to do that uh, goes a long way for the team. Um, just extra effort plays, um, just bringing the energy. And, uh, you know, uh, with our team, you know, Coach Preach, uh, every night, you know, it's going to be somebody night. You know, it may be – you know, a Sibley night or a Keontae night or a Sule night, you know, we just coming in there and just um, only, I go in the game, try to focus on what I can control, and that's effort and energy. And sometimes, you know, I just be, uh, go my hardest and it goes out, you know, and um, gets results. I'll say this, though, as far as your offensive game goes, I think 10, 12, 15 feet out, you're pretty automatic. That's the one thing yeah. I've noticed. When you get a look, and it seems like in the last couple of games, you're looking for your shot a little bit more because teams are giving it to you. So if you're getting an yeah. opportunity, you know what? Why not make them pay? Yeah, you know, just taking what the defense gives me within the offensive system, you know, no one to force anything or take us out of a groove. But, uh, you know, um, coaches like uh, coaching staff and my teammates that like, give me that confidence, you know, if I get the open shot or open look or the mismatch, um, take advantage of it, be aware of it. And, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, like they're confident in my playmaking ability and stuff. So that uh, does a, I speak volumes for me and it does a lot just going into a game mentally, knowing that uh, I got them behind my back and they got my uh, have their support. Al, I want to ask you about uh, this previous road swing because mm-hmm. it seemed like this did a lot for your team chemistry. I don't know if it's yeah. it's going to set you up and propel you for March, but did you guys have those kind of conversations, how, how crucial the road swing against uh, Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss was? Oh, for sure. You know, uh, we talk about that all the time, just um, taking advantage of the moment. You know, uh, coach, as coach, I have to call it playing with house money, you know, um, going against, against La Tech. They were dubbed uh, the better team, more physical team. And, you know, we wanted to come out and make a statement, you know, to show people that uh, the minors are here. And here for a long time, and I think uh, we've been doing that, uh, proving a lot of people wrong. And um, as you see, like, uh, come to the game, a lot more fans in the stands, and uh, just the energy is different. The camaraderie with our team, just the adversity we've been through with injuries, COVID, um, other things that's taking place. So we just uh, try to stay focused, stay together, you know, it's kind of block out the outside noise. I think that does a lot when we go to a game, and it's, uh, we look at it as we're going into war, you know, you're going into war with your soldiers, you got each other back. Everybody's on the same page, and there's just one goal, and that's winning and um, having success, you know, with the uh, team and uh, every, that results to individual success as well. Al, I thought the building was more alive on Saturday than it's been all season long. Give me your thoughts on that. I would agree. You know, uh, some games, you know, uh, early in the season it was kind of dead. You know, we could hear each other talk, and then last game, uh, Saturday, man, we barely care. Play calls. I'm running down the court <laughs> asking, what's the play? Like, asking the coach, and that's rare. I catch myself having to do that. So, just seeing the fans come out, um, and like you said, it does a lot for us, too. We just, we we, well, we take consideration. We notice that, um, you know, we're on the right path, and uh, we're making a, a change for the better in a, uh, UTEP, um, the UTEP um, community. You know, we just going out there, just playing hard, uh, giving the fans a good, a great game, great effort. And uh, yeah, man, it was, just, it was packed. It was packed Saturday, so it was great to see that support from the fans and the community. 
Al, what about for you? It's your first season with the team and your only season as a grad player, but uh, because you've had a chance to go through the battles all these years with Oregon State mm-hmm. in the Pac-12, do you do you take that leadership role and kind of mentor some of the younger players that are that are still very new to UTEP? Oh, for sure. You know, uh, just uh, like you say, being an older uh, player on a team, um, having that experience at that level, I try to. Um, I'm never some guy who's selfish. You know, always even you know any information they want to know, um, I give it to them. Or you know, if I see one of my teammates make a mistake or something or make a wrong read, you know, I just come to the side, talk to them, constructive criticism. You know, and uh, that's one thing I think our team is very good at. Um, at have grown to be better at is holding each other accountable. So. We know nobody takes it personal. We know it's all within the lines of the game and just want to make the team better. So uh, definitely me with my um, knowledge and just my experience, I want to give it to my team uh, as much as possible, you know, no matter what position it is or whatever it is, you know, I'm always an open book and they know that as well. So, yeah, well, definitely. Biggest difference you've seen this season compared to Pac-12. So kind of give me a little bit of a compare, contrast, CUSA basketball compared to Pac-12 basketball. Um... Oh, uh, I would say. Um, Finally, a tough question. It's only taking me twenty five yeah. minutes to throw something at you that you had to think yeah. about a little bit. So tell me about that one. Nah, uh, oh man, um, let me think. I mean, I mean, Pac twelve is definitely, um, definitely bigger players. I would say like uh, the skill level is there. You know, it's just, um, just, just, just it's more like kind of West Coast, more easy going in the Pac twelve, and then. Um, Conference USA, definitely a lot more grittier that I've noticed. Like um, smaller teams, but they, you know they 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 press you, they up the lane a lot more. And the Pac-12 was a lot more relaxed. Um, man, that's a tough question. Um, so you could say almost more physical play in Conference USA on a night-to-night basis than you'll sometimes see in the Pac-12. Sometimes, yeah, just because a lot of players in the Pac are like uh, skilled, so you know it's it's more of a finesse game. And in the uh, conference, you'll say it's more of it's more of banging down low, banging and uh, scrapping your game, grittier for sure. And especially like with UTEP and the way we guard, uh, you know, we're going to be in a dogfight. Coach preach up the lane and jumping past lanes and uh, taking away the help and stuff like that. And when I come from Oregon State, it was more so zone. You know, stay with your man, help the helper. So just getting used to the systems has definitely been um, something that I've uh, taken a challenge, accepted a challenge with. So yeah, but I mean, I would say definitely a more grittier conference here than Pac-12. For both of you guys, and I'll, I'll start with G-Money. Uh, I want to ask you guys, now that we're reflecting on college basketball careers here, uh, who are the best players that you either played against or played with now that you're having to kind of reflect back on your career? I'll start with you, G-Money, and then go to you, Al. Ooh, I would say <laughs> at Fresno State, I played against uh, Daniel Geffert. Uh, from, he played at Arkansas at the time. And he was doing some crazy stuff that I had just – that was my first experience of playing in like a big facility, you know, high energy, it was sold out. Uh, you know, Coach Terry was like riled up, he was like ready to go. And then the game starts off and I think Gaffer like steals, like this is like a 6'11 big man. Like he steals it, goes all the court, there's a windmill. Next play, yeah, like he reverses Elliot, one of our one of our big men. And I was just like, this guy's crazy. And then next year he was in, he was in the league. Um so, but yeah, he's crazy. Oh, I've seen a lot of good players, man. Um, that I've played against in college. In college or just like at all times? I guess all time. Well, for you, because you played time, international. Oh, I, have, I have a core memory. I have 
the first pickup game I played in America was in the YMCA in Huntington, West Virginia, and Miles Bridges was again was on my team because he he used to he used to play for Huntington Prep the year before he was at Michigan State, and I had never seen anybody jump that high, and I was this guy's crazy, and uh, I think Thomas Bryant was also there, um, just a bunch of players, and then they had Keldon Johnson there as well, and he's now playing for the Spurs and. Yeah, but probably Miles Bridges. I was so impressed with his athleticism and it was, yeah, crazy. Al, what about for you? Uh, sheesh. Um, man, I played against some great players. Uh, I would have to say one person who I, who game I always respected that I played against is um Remy Martin. Man, he was at Arizona State, but he's at uh, Kansas now. Uh, he, he's a dog, man. Like. We we played uh, AAU together on the same team with the Soldiers, but just playing against him at Arizona State, the way he ran that team, man, it was impressive. Um, man, who else? Uh, Alonzo Trayer and DeAndre Ayton. Um, that that year when it was at Arizona, that was a uh, yeah, that that was tough. That was a tough team. DeAndre was uh, I don't know, he was like number one pick and stuff, so it was crazy to play against him. And um, like we actually played high school together too, so it was interesting to be on separate teams, but. Like him, um, man, I'm trying to think who was uh, uh, Lou Dortz at Arizona State was pretty good. Um, you had uh, Aaron Holiday. He he was one of the best generals I've I put against for sure. Like Aaron Holiday at, uh, at UCLA, he, he, he controlled the offense. That was, it was pretty impressive to see how much talent they had and how he had everybody in check and was the, the leader, the snake of the, of the pack. As far as who I played with, um, Man, uh, Trace Tinkle for sure. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he's one of the most uh, accoladed uh, persons at uh, Oregon State history. Uh, he's one of the most accomplished players um, with the scoring record, um, first team, everything. He, he, he's an all around solid individual. Um, Ethan Thompson, one of my closest friends, he's also a, was a great player. Um, who else, man? Drew Ebanks, he plays for the Spurs now. He uh, shot blocker, Kyler Kelly. And as far as here, um, Sule is probably one of the most like pure scores I've played with and I've seen. Like he, Sule, I mean, you guys know he has a knack for getting to the basket. Like he, he's, he's like for his size and be able to do what he do on a night in night out basis is, is pretty impressive. So I, I say he's probably one of the best scores I didn't. Uh, yeah, for sure, one of the best scores I haven't played with and played against. Nice answer, uh, Gilles. You mentioned uh, you know earlier Miles Bridges, but uh, what about Bryson Williams? You spent four years with him at Fresno. Now you're getting a chance to see what he can do on the big stage out at Texas Tech. Yeah, I was going to say as well, uh, Bryson Williams and Sue have been probably one of the best people I've just played against. Like I was so impressed with Sue the first time I played pickup with him at UTEP and. Just his shooting ability is like yeah, his man. ability to get space off and like pull the trigger so fast and just knock it out like consistently, consistently and like not be phased. That's when I was like, man, we got because he had to sit out that first year. But I was like, that second year, we got a real dude in our team. Um, and then Bryson is like Bryson. I, I was Bryson's roommate for uh, uh, three years, and. I don't think I I know a guy more deserving of like a spot on like an NBA team than him. Like he's like the hardest worker I've I've just ever met. Like he was so into basketball, everything he could do, he, he like breathed basketball. And I was like, man, this guy is just he, he deserves it. You know, he, he put work in even during quarantine. Uh, me and Bryce were quarantined. Like 
uh, he would like still get up like early, uh, run, like he was like a researching what healthy foods were, you know, so he can eat healthy and stay fit over quarantine. It was just about it. Like basketball was his thing. And, you know, you guys seen it, you know, scoring ability, defensive ability, just his, his mindset. He's a real dog. Like, Props to him. He he really made himself that player, and he's you know continuing to grow at Texas Tech right now as you know one of their best players. So, yeah. Gilles, how tough was it for you to have that decision a few months back with uh, your head coach and and tell uh, Coach Golding that you needed to uh, ultimately look at your personal life, your business interests, and what you've been doing, and take a break from the team really to kind of jumpstart your career. That's a great question. Thank you for asking that because it's uh, it's definitely been tough uh, mentally, you know, because uh, I um, basketball has been such a big part of my life and it still is. But it was a big change and I felt I felt it coming. Like I was like, I had been doing the internship already uh, the year before, um, and I was weighing out options and, and seeing how the season went. And it was just a you know making a pros and cons list and evaluating things and. Um, but it, it was a hard decision, you know. I, I had, you know, real talks with my parents too and the possibility of staying in America. Uh, they didn't really like to hear that, you know, but they would do anything for their son and they've been very supportive. And um, it, it's not been easy. Uh, it's definitely been stressful. But I feel like I, I'm handling it. I handled it pretty well. So, um, but I'm, I'm loving it what I do. I have absolutely no regrets. Uh, I, I still love basketball, but it's just a matter of, you know, uh, you know, looking what's best for you. And, and sometimes along, you know, the initial goal, there's different ambitions that pass by and different opportunities. And, you know, I just happen to like it. So, But I also know that Saturday is going to mean a lot to you and also to Al. You have family that's already – your family's already in town, Gilles. Yours, Al is coming in for Saturday's game uh, against North Texas. You're both going to be honored. Yeah. And, and that's a real big deal, isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, just uh, it's like kind of like the, you know, it's, it's just a real moment, uh, bittersweet, just uh, uh, just taking in all the moments and uh, the hours sacrifice, um, that just, just been put in over the years, man. It's, it's a bittersweet moment, but uh, something to embrace and um, just like I say, no one of the moments you would never forget, just uh, going out the last hurrah with uh, with your guys you started with. Um, I mean, I'm very appreciative of the season and the coaching staff are. From thinking about me and thinking I'd be a great fit for the school, you know, they uh, we both helped each other out major ways on and off the court. Um, it's just man, just been a uh, very uh, mind opening, mind blowing, just surreal, just being with the players, getting a uh, bond with my teammates over the uh, over this course of the time, and then uh, just the community of El Paso as well, being accepting, um, just you know, taking a transfer, uh, taking me in open arms. I, I appreciate that. Al, did you have a senior day in uh, at Oregon State last season? No, I didn't. I didn't. I transferred um a couple games into the season, so I didn't finish the season out with the team. I kind of uh, transferred early on, so I didn't have a senior season, a senior night with them. So this is your first senior night of your college career, which tells me even more about how yeah. much this is going to be for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I've seen many of them. I mean, in college, you know, many years that I have, I definitely seen. It. You know, usually, you know, and it's not your night. You kind of like, oh man, okay. But now it's my night and my day, so it's nice. definitely something to embrace and uh, just take a uh, memory forever, man. So you know, yeah. Gia, what about for you? Your mom's already in town. She's cooking for you during this interview. So you tell me what it's going to be like to have uh, your family in town for this one. And it's uh, it's it's like Al said. It's a bittersweet moment because these these years they just flew by so fast, and 
you know, you always hear it like, oh, it goes by so fast, so fast. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And now you're here, you know, your parents are coming up with you. Um, and uh, to me, having, you know, my most, like, two most important people beside me is like the biggest blessing. And I, I don't take them for granted. Uh, it's been a like a long distance relationship, of course, because they, you know, they live in Europe. But for them, just coming out here and, you know, supporting me through a senior night that, you know, I want to thank Coach Golding again for still allowing me to do a senior night, even though, you know, I, I, uh, I'm on a different course right now. It's just really, it's, it's a very underrated blessing. I'm so, so grateful um, that my parents were able to, to make it here. And uh, yeah, we're, we're having fun over here. So it's good. I'm really excited. I'm really excited for the team. And, you know, it's, it's just it's just so many emotions that are like happening right now. It's even hard to explain. No, I think I get it. I really do, guys. I think you're both going to be just having uh, the time of your lives on Saturday. And then before you know it, next week on to Frisco and the CUSA basketball tournament and hopefully a lot more basketball after that. And again, hoping the Miners are saving the best for last. But in the meantime, uh, to the two of you, we want to thank you both for being here, giving us all that time today, talking about your careers leading up to this moment. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best, not just on Saturday, but for the future, both uh, in, in the basketball world and obviously in the the professional world for you, Gilles. Great to see you're getting it done. Thank you. Thank you for having thank us. You, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you for having us, man. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Again, uh, both uh, Alfred Hollins and uh, Gilles DeConic uh, joining us uh, here on Sports Talk. We'll come back, wrap it up next. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues 600 ESPN El Paso.